Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this talk will be on a review of the role of multi-detector CT with CT angiography in the evaluation of the abdominal aorta. What we're going to do in this lecture, we're going to look at several things. We're going to look at the current role of CTA in the detection and evaluation of abdominal aortic aneurysms. We're going to look at the role of CT in planning of therapy for patients with aneurysms and the role of CT and CTA in the follow-up of patients following graft stent uh, placement. So it'll be a nice, simple talk. We'll look at several important factors. In this talk, I'm going to spend a lot of time on the technical aspects of the study. If you want to do a really good exam of the aorta, you need to look at five things. Data acquisition, data processing, data post-processing, data display, and data analysis. If we look into this a little bit further, when I speak about data acquisition, I'm talking about scan protocols, the contrast type, the contrast volumes, scanning protocols, the timing of acquisition, whether it's single versus multiple phases of acquisition. When I speak about data processing, I'm talking about the processing that goes on in the scanner, the algorithm or reconstruction kernel, the slice thickness we use, the scanning intervals, so if I say 0.75 millimeters by 0.5, you know what I'm talking about. When I speak about data post-processing, that means once the scans are reconstructed, that means the axials are reconstructed, what do I do with them? Do I use multiplanar or 3D? Do I use volume rendering or MIP or all of the above? And then once I reconstruct the data, how do I look at it? What's the best format for displaying information? Typically the answer is 3D, but how do I show it? What tools do I use? And when I speak about the aorta and data analysis, I'm speaking about specific tools. The new tools for measurement, volumes, tools for stent design, and those will vary from vendor to vendor, but they do, of course, become very important to us. So let's start with data acquisition. The first thing I want to look at is scanning protocols. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll look at our standard protocol for looking at the abdominal aorta. Let's then look at some of the specific protocols. In terms of the aorta, I'll always give oral contrast. I like to use a thousand cc's of water. This distends the stomach and proximal bowel and also allows me to hydrate the patient, which prevents any issues potentially with contrast-induced nephrotoxicity. We'll then use IV contrast with the faster scanners, with the 64-slice scanners. Our volumes are decreasing, usually around 100 cc's. I'll either use Omni 350 or Visi 320, trying to inject at 4 cc's a second. And we'll typically, if it's a routine aortic evaluation, initial evaluation, I'll typically only need arterial phase imaging. Obviously, if we're doing stent evaluations in terms of uh, the potential for leak, we'll do non-contrast early and late phase acquisition. The question comes up, what about scan delays? You can do a number of things. You can do test bolus, but that may be a bit uh, too time-consuming. Um, what you might want to do simply is bolus tracking. You hit a trigger point, and then you start scanning. Well, that's a good thing to do for many applications, but for the abdominal aorta, in most cases, you can use a preset delay in a 25 to 30 second range. If someone has a big heart, you can add five or 10 seconds. Typically, we're scanning diaphragm through symphysis. Now, the proof that this works with a preset delay, Mike McCary had a good article a couple years back, looked at 70 patients with aortoiliac aneurysmal disease, used a 25-second delay, 150 cc's of contrast, and found they were able to get excellent enhancement in all patients. And so for them, an empiric delay indeed worked very nicely. 
in terms of scanning protocols, whether it's 16 or 64, obviously you can get very good studies. Regardless if it's 16 or 64, we want the best detectors. We use a slice thickness of about 0.75 millimeters at 0.5 millimeter intervals. Whether or not we're using the 16 slice scanner or using the 64 slice scanner. So that's a very, very simple reproducible protocol, 0.75 by 0.5. That gives you the nice overlap that gives you excellent 3D reconstructions and shows all the small branch vessels. In terms of pitfalls, what can go wrong? Well, things always can go wrong. Too slow an injection rate, you don't have good opacification. Poor timing, you're too early, you're too late, you're not going to get good visualization. If the patient moves, that's always an issue. Again, on a 10-second scan, it's a lot less likely to have motion than it is on a 60-second scan. And one issue in terms particularly of looking at size or looking at um, extent of an aneurysm or branch vessels is extensive calcifications. And we have some workarounds for that, and I'll show you that in a moment. Now, in terms of patients who can't get large amounts of contrast, there are ways of optimizing contrast. You can use saline as a chaser to optimize the use of contrast. And so, for example, if someone had poor renal function, we'd switch to Visipake. But if you really were still worried, drop to 60 or 80 cc's of Visipake, use a 40 cc saline chaser. That works very nicely. If patients are very large, they're very obese, with the thin sections, you may get very noisy images. In that case, go to the thicker collimators, 1.2 millimeters, instead of the 0.6s, for example. And then you still can get good data sets, but you're doing two millimeter thick sections every one millimeter. But again, you get a better quality study. And of course, the faster scanners will minimize motion artifact, and that alone obviously will improve image quality. I mentioned in terms of imaging, we look at everything from the axials to the uh, coronals through the 3D mapping. Now, an important part of workflow and making things happen quickly is having the computer be your friend. And so, for example, we use the interactive watershed transform, which is a technique which facilitates the efficient interaction with interactive segmentation uh, and automatic segmentation based on multiple local and regional imaging features. Now, that's a mouthful, and I think I explained it on another lecture, but let me just show you what it really means. It means that when I sit down to the image, the computer will recognize bone. You see the bone in blue. The computer can make mistakes. For some reason, at times, it leaves ribs behind, which do not bother me. What's important about this algorithm, it removes what I don't want to see, but doesn't take away things I do want to see. You have to be very careful because some algorithms take away everything plus a whole lot of things that become critical for your diagnosis. And if you take away the bone, look what you're left with. You're left with a very nice vascular arcade. And here literally is what I took away. You can see we missed a few ribs. There is the initial data set. There's the final data set, making it much easier and more accurate to read. And it's not just a focused exam. Here's the thoracic aorta and abdominal aorta. You can see the color coding. We'll take away the bone. And taking away the bone is critical in volume rendering, but especially critical with MIP imaging. And you can see that on these range of images. Same thing with runoff studies. Here we'll take away the pelvis to look at the iliacs and superficial femorals. That's the bone we're taking away, and there's the final image. Again, a very, very elegant way for looking at the superficial femoral, the profundi, and all the small branch vessels. 
when we look for this section, we also look at involvement of branch vessels. So in this case, we can see the section not only involving the aorta, but extending into the celiac axis. Now you can see that very nicely on the axial images, there's no doubt. But as you go beyond the axials, even to the coronal, you can see the flap a whole lot better. Its relationship and its extension into the celiac, its close relationship to the SMA. The 2D multiplanar is better, but here's the 3D, which is even nicer. So again, we build up from axial to coronal or sagittal to 3D imaging, but all of these are indeed critical. In terms of the aorta, we often do patients with post-operative complications, whether it's leak or occlusion, AV fistula, pseudoaneurysms, and I'll show you a couple examples. Patient with flank pain, post-aortic aneurysm repair, if you look carefully, you don't see the left renal artery on the MIP image or the volume rendered image. And so when you look a bit more carefully at the data, you see the left kidney is infarcted and the patient needed a nephrectomy. Injuries to the renal arteries are one of the complications of these surgeries. Another example, a patient with a, uh, a graft from the aorta to the uh, superficial femoral artery. And here's a large femoral artery pseudoaneurysm at the anastomotic site very nicely shown. Let me then make a few comments about stents. We use CT to determine whether or not a stent can be used. Is the aorta too ectatic? Maybe you can't put a stent up very much narrowed uh, external iliac arteries. You want to be able to figure out what kind of stent, its size, and then again the best approach. So in this case, here's a coronal, here's a sagittal image. Uh, you can see the uh, inferenal abdominal aortic aneurysm better shown on the uh, volume rendered and MIP image. We then take these images, use a centerline measurement to get the critical measurements from the renal artery to the aneurysm, maximum size of the aneurysm, distance from renal arteries down to bifurcation, the length of the uh, common iliacs, all key factors and key measurements. Again, as you can see here, centerline measuring is critical. And what's very nice is the computer programs or software programs we now have on our scanners allow us to have automatic centerline placement. And this is just so critical in getting the exact measurement. Trying to draw things from point to point and extrapolating is not really where you want to be at. And we use these tools not only in these examples, but in looking at stents and looking at stent patency. There are many, very, many good applications. Last thing let me speak about briefly is looking at stent visualization, that is stent patency, and typical questions we ask, is the stent in satisfactory position, is there a leak, is the stent patent, is it narrowed, what specifically is going on? I mentioned this is one situation we do non-contrast CTs, because when you see something in the contrast scan, you might wonder, is it extravasation, what exactly is that high density? But often that high density is calcification or it's areas of fibrosis. It's things that are well seen in the non-contrast CT. And this helps you prevent any sort of errors. The arterial phase is typically the optimal phase for visualization of luminal opacification and in most cases for detecting the leak. Though in some cases the leaks are best seen on delayed phase imaging. And typically we're going about 60 to 75 seconds. And almost every article published says you must need, uh, you must get these delayed scans. In terms of articles, even going back five or six years, CTA is the preferred method for establishing the presence of perigraph leaks. 
following treatment of aortic uh, iliac aneurysms with stent grafts, and a very, very high accuracy of CTA when compared to conventional angiography. Now, there is classification of stent leaks, type 1 through type 4. We define these as primary or secondary, with most leaks uh, commonly being uh, type 2 or type 4. But what I'm going to do is I'll leave these graphs up here for you to look at for a moment, and I'm not really going to go through them. One comment, up to an increase in sac size of 0.5 millimeters is acceptable. Anything more than that requires intervention. And we'll look at endostents and endoleaks at another point. Just a couple examples to end this talk. Here's a nice stent failure. We can see the stent is collapsing on itself with a very sharp angulation. And here's a nice example of an endoleak. And in this case, you can see the patient's IMA feeding that endoleak very nicely shown anterior to the graft, very nicely shown on early phase imaging. Here's an example of the right limb being occluded. You can see there's no flow within the graft, and so there is artifact of the metal within the stent, but not enough artifact to cause any problems. So we've looked at many things. We've looked at the importance of proper acquisition of data. We've spoken a bit about processing. We've spoken a bit about data analysis. And the conclusion then is you need the right workflow. Evaluation of uh, the aorta with CT angiography is a robust technique, something we do on a daily basis and something you need to be doing on a daily basis. And with that, I'll stop and wish you a nice day.